Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, that's where our scripture is found today. And it's a parable. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we're going to be in verses 21 through the end of that chapter. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I'm going to read that, and then Matt is going to come up and preach for us. So Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Everybody ready? You can follow along with us. We bailed you out if you didn't bring a Bible today. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Amen. You're awake now. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Man, I'm excited to talk about this parable of Jesus. Uh, before I do, just to reiterate what Tommy was saying um, about our family-style worship today, we have a quote from the Village Church on our event that I just want to read for us. They say, listen to the extra noises. Watch the children around you. Allow your heart to be blessed by the untidiness and unpredictability that is family. Let us think of it not as a distraction, but as something that endears us to each other. And let us be so grateful for those who preach the gospel to our children week in and week out in the back. All right, the parable of the unforgiving servant. We are forgiven to forgive. Before we dive in, I'm going to pray, with, pray for us this morning. Father, please come and fill this place. Lord, may we 
give you the attention that you deserve. God, may we dive into your truth of, of, of your word to see what you have to say to us, Lord. Thank you for the words that have been preserved from our Lord Jesus Christ. God, that can teach us and even transform us, Lord. I pray we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we consider and contemplate what you have for us in this text, Lord. Bless our time of fellowship. May it be a time of joy and celebration and contentment, Lord. And may it all be for your glory, for your name. Today is all about you, Father. Thank you for your gospel, for how much you love us. Amen. All right, so I know it's the last day of April, but we're going to start out talking about the Grinch who stole Christmas. All right? And this is fresh on my mind because our three-year-old Haddon, who's playing in the back, uh, he doesn't care when Christmas is. He just loves the movie, all right? So he watched it like two weeks ago. So in this movie, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, any good story worth its weight in salt has some sort of a plot twist, right? Something you didn't expect or something a character in the story didn't expect to happen. So The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, he hated Whoville, specifically during Christmas time. He hated the celebration, the singing, the togetherness. Every Christmas morning, the Who's would gather in the town center and they would sing and belt out and they were so happy and he hated it. So he came up with a plan, right? He was going to steal Christmas. Christmas Eve night, he went around, stole all the presents, stole all the decorations. And in his mind, what was going to happen Christmas morning? Were they going to sing and rejoice still? No, in the Grinch's mind, they would be miserable and sad and disappointed. That was his goal. He wanted to steal everything and keep them from their joy and happiness and singing and celebration. On Christmas morning, what happened though? What did the people still do? They still gathered, they still celebrated, they still sang, they were still happy. This blew the Grinch's mind. He was like, this doesn't make any sense. I had this plan to take everything and it would result in anger and disappointment, but the opposite happened. They were still happy, they still celebrated. What in the world? And it confused him so much. It made him reevaluate the whole deal of Christmas. He thought all the little who, boys and girls, were just selfish, demanding things from Santa Claus. And he reconsidered so much, he was actually invited in and began to participate, right? Great story. I'm sure all of you know it. I didn't spoil it. That's the plot twist, okay? Every good story has one. And we see when Jesus tells parables, almost every parable has some sort of plot twist that, that we didn't see coming. And we're going to see that in this story of the unforgiving servant. So we're going to walk through the story together. Three things. We're going to see the setup. Then we're going to see the twist, the plot twist. And then we're going to see the final warning that Jesus gives to us. Sound like a plan? All right, first the setup. How does Jesus set up this story of the unforgiving servant? Well, as Tommy read, Peter asked Jesus a question. And the reason he asked this question, if you back up in Matthew 18, the previous section is about reconciling with brothers and sisters. And Jesus says this phrase in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to him, tell him how he's offended you, and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And that's all he says about that. This raises a question in Peter's mind. 
He says, hold on, hold on. What if I go to my brother? What if he just keeps sinning against me and sinning against me? And he listens to me every time. Do I just keep doing that? He's like, do it. Jesus, do I do this up to seven times? And just, just so you know, Peter was trying to gain some holy points here. He thought seven times was like above and beyond the call of forgiveness and love. The, the rabbis who wrote during this time uh, of Jesus and their writings three times, that was the limit. If somebody sinned against you, you'd forgive them three times. So Peter like over doubles it. He's like, Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? And he thinks like, he thinks he's hot stuff, right? Jesus says, actually, Peter, not seven times, uh, 77 times. Or some translations even say 70 times seven. So what is Jesus saying? Is he saying the, the 78th time or the 491st time, however you translate it, is that when we stop? No, that's not the point, right? Jesus is saying there should not be this set, firm limit on how much forgiveness we extend to other people. So this is the setup. Our forgiveness should not have any limits. So after Jesus answers that way, he, he launches into the parable. So there's a king, and he takes an opportunity to settle all his accounts. Who does the king represent? Who do you think? Christ, God, the, the heavenly father, the king. He represents God. Then there's servants who owe him. And there's one servant in particular who owes him a whole bunch. Who do you think that represents? Us. That's us, right? This servant, uh, if we translate, so in verse, what verse is this? The 10,000 talents in verse 24. If you uh, precisely translate that into English, it's uh, a bajillion dollars, okay? If you probably have a footnote in your Bible, it's one talent, just one talent, is 20 years wages for a day laborer. Just one. This dude owes 10,000 of those. So really, in, if we translated it to like American dollars, it's about $10 billion with a B. 10 billion, this servant owes him. That represents us. And what we owe the Lord is because of our sins and our offenses against him. We're this servant, right? So the servant, this dude, this dude's a character, okay? So he is brought before the king. He owes $10 billion. And what he asks for is more time. He says, please, king, just give me more time. I promise you I'll pay it back. He would obviously never have enough time to pay that debt back. He just says, give me, give me a couple months. I'll come up with the 10, 10 billion for you. The king knows, like, that's not going to happen. So what the king does, instead of extending his time, he totally wipes it clean, forgives him. He says, I forgive you the debt because you've, you've asked me, you've begged for me. And it says in verse 27, the king had compassion, pity or compassion and it's, it's talking about, like, the king feels this in his gut. He is so stirred up out of compassion for this servant. He says, you know what? I realize you could never pay this back to me, so I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. You're forgiven. It's done. This word compassion, it's the same word 
that describes Jesus when he sees the crowds who were helpless and without a shepherd. And it says Jesus had compassion for them. So this compassion, it leads the king. He does two things. He releases the servant and he forgives him. He releases and he forgives. Talk about a life-changing event. You owe your king $10 billion. Can you imagine the weight you would feel on top of yourself? And then all of a sudden, it's gone. The king forgives. He pardons. He says, your slate's clean. Have you guys ever done something that you just like, like you really messed up? And you did something that you got yourself into a situation where you cannot get out yourself unless somebody had compassion on you and forgave you. All right, so Tommy, he says, jokingly and lovingly, that you guys love it when, you sh- when he shares his dirty laundry. So now it's my turn, all right? I'm going to talk about a time. This is just cringy for me to even think about. I, th- I forgot about this story until I was studying this. I think I tried to block it out of my memory. Because, oh man. Kids, you ever do something and your parents find out and they ask you this question, what were you thinking? And in that moment, you realize, you know what? I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking at all. This is one of those moments in my life, okay? I was not thinking. I did something really foolish, okay? So my buddy's house, he was kind of like the hub of where all of our friends hung out. And there was a piece of property behind his house that was owned by a family friend that we all knew. The property was empty. There was no house. It was just like they just did fun stuff out there, I guess. So we would go to this open field piece of property all the time just to play, build forts, fun time. This family who owned that property had like a moving truck that they stored there. It wasn't U-Haul, but picture like the biggest size U-Haul. They had that kind of truck that they stored there. And in our small brains, we thought, I was like a young teenage boy at this time. Not that that's an excuse at all. In our small brains, we thought, oh, this dude has like abandoned this truck. Clearly he doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. So we decided to just totally vandalize it. We drew, painted silly messages on the side, but we didn't stop there. Um, we busted out the headlights. This is horrible. We, we knocked off like the side rear view mirrors. We just like trashed this thing. Don't ask me why, I don't know why. It's sin, obviously. We were just dumb. I wanna use stronger words. I know we have kids in here. It was very foolish, okay, what we did. And apparently, the guy who owned this property knew the truck was still there, believe it or not, and he found out very quickly what we did, okay? When my parents called me, oh man, you know when your heart just like sinks into your stomach? Like you realize the the weight of what you've just done. I would have never been able to pay this dude back. I was making $7.25 an hour, okay? Working a little job on the side. Never would have been able to pay this dude back. Thank the Lord he had compassion and pity for us, and he forgave me. He said, you know what? I will choose to release you and overlook this. Hallelujah. 
I was, whew, yeah, thinking about that, it still, it brings me back, man. That was a bad time. But he forgave me, released, set free, you're clean, I forgive you. That's what happened to this servant, right? Except for exponentially more so. $10 billion. He messed up. Like, how do you even lend out, how do you accumulate a debt of $10 billion? This dude found a way to do it. And then all of a sudden, he's released. That is a life-changing event. The relief that that would bring. So this king represents God. He forgives us all of our debts. We're set free. He's a king full of compassion, love, and mercy, and that drives him to forgive us. So that's the setup. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. That's the setup, right? Here comes the plot twist. I'll read verses 28 through 31 again. So after this servant has been forgiven, immediately he goes out after he's been released. And he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So 10,000 talents, $10 billion. A hundred denarii, like 15,000, 15 grand. A drop in the bucket compared to 10 billion. This fellow servant owes him 15 grand. And the, fellow, the servant who had just been forgiven seizes him and chokes him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. This, this sentence should sound familiar. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's exactly what the guy said to the king. Verse 30, but he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So we would expect, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. We would expect the servant who had been forgiven and released to go forgive and release his fellow servant. This is the plot twist. He doesn't do that. It's like the reverse of the Grinch. The Grinch steals and takes away and expects anger and disappointment. But they still celebrated and sang and had fun. This king... He forgives and releases and extends compassion and love. And he expects his servant to do the same thing. But instead, he's selfish and angry and unforgiving. It's the plot twist. So if the servant was forgiven 10 billion, he should be able to overlook 15,000. Because if he's a servant of the king, he doesn't need $15,000 anymore. He lives, the king provides for his needs. It's his servant. The only reason he needed 15,000 was to pay the king back, but now that debt's gone. That's forgiven. He doesn't actually need this money anymore. So the servant does not spread the forgiveness of the king, and he acts harshly, and he acts selfishly. So after my foolish blunder as a young teenage boy that I was forgiven for, for uh, destroying this man's truck. By the time I got my own car, it was a 1992 Toyota Corolla, maroon, flashy, okay? Flashy, I was riding in style. But uh, I paid for it myself, so I was proud of it. 
I said, this is my, this is my thing. This is my car. So when my friends rode with me, I would get so angry if they left like a McDonald's cup or a napkin. I would say, how dare you? How dare you try to trash my prized possession? Totally forgetting that if I had not been forgiven, I would have never been able to afford this car in the first place. I forgot about that. Now this is my thing, and I demand perfection from my passengers, right? It's foolish. You just forget. Forget what you've been forgiven, and you fail to extend that forgiveness to other people. So after Peter's question, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? We would expect the parable to go like this, right? The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a servant who was forgiven, and now he's able to go and forgive others. That's what we expect Jesus to say. It's, it's letting that flow of forgiveness from the main source, just let it flow through you to the next person. Why doesn't Jesus tell the parable that way? Because in the beginning, he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. But then he gives a story, and the kingdom of heaven is not supposed to be like that. This is what I think Jesus is doing. He's taking Peter's line of reasoning. He's taking Peter's thought process, and he's playing it out. He says, Peter, look, if we're trying to put limits on our forgiveness of other people, we're totally missing the point of what God has done for us. If we're trying to put limits on how we forgive other people, we don't actually fully understand the unlimited forgiveness the Father has given to us. So Jesus takes Peter's line of thinking and he plays it out in a story. That's, that's why the twist is there in the first place. Because the king, in verse 27, the king releases and he forgives. The next verse, the servant chokes and seizes. Just makes no sense. Does the opposite of what was just done for him. That kind of that kind of behavior actually doesn't fit in the kingdom of heaven. It's not supposed to work that way. And the, the fellow servant, he pleads with the man who was just forgiven and says the same exact sentence. He says, have, what is it? Verse 29, have patience with me and I will pay you. That's exactly what the servant had just told the king, but he still doesn't budge. It doesn't ring any bells. He still acts harshly. So get this. It's just incredible irony. Jesus is a master communicator. So Mr. Ten Billion, we'll call the first servant that. Mr. Ten Billion, he asks for more time. But the king forgives him instead, right? Mr. Fifteen Thousand asks for more time. Instead, he's thrown in jail. The, the fellow, the Mr. Ten Billion could have given him more time but instead throws him in jail. Mr. Ten Billion asked for more time to pay a debt he would have never been able to afford, and, and the king forgives him. Instead of giving him more time, even though it wouldn't have worked, he forgives him. Mr. 15,000 asks for more time, and he would have been able to come up with that money if given enough time. But Mr. Ten Billion says, no, I'm gonna lock you in prison where you'll never be able to earn the money that you owe me, and he'll be stuck there forever. 
That's what Mr. 10 billion does. He just locks him away where he'll never be able to be set free because he can't make money. He's in prison. Not only that, whose servant is Mr. 15,000? Who does he belong to? The king. So Mr. 10 billion has just been set free from his debt. And obviously he should have had compassion towards his fellow servant. So he's not only costing his fellow servant, he's costing the king who just forgave him. He's costing him one of his servants by locking him away forever. It's not good. Not a good look. It makes, like this behavior, what Jesus is telling us, this behavior makes no sense in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't fit. You are doing something that ends in the demise of your fellow servant, and you're costing the king who has just forgiven you everything. So what Jesus is teaching Peter and teaching us, if you're trying to find the limit of forgiving others, then you have not understood the unlimited forgiveness that God has given you. So last section, the warning. The final warning that Jesus gives us. I'll read verses 32 through 35 again. Jesus says, Then his master, after the other servants told the master what happened, his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And here's the key verse. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That last verse, you're like, oh, does Jesus really talk like that? Yeah, apparently he does. That's a warning. That's a serious warning. So this is how it's supposed to work in the kingdom of heaven. Picture God's forgiveness is coming at you from behind. And when he forgives you and redeems you, it opens a door. And that forgiveness is supposed to flow out to the people around you. God is opening doors. He's opening new channels of his forgiveness everywhere. When he redeems and saves somebody, he's opening the door. God's forgiveness can flow through you to the next person. What this wicked, unforgiving servant does, he slams that door shut. He says, no, you're not flowing through me. Slams it shut. And obviously this, this is not right. This is not how it's supposed to work. Anybody heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people? Yeah? The flip side of that, what Jesus is teaching us, the flip side should be true. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgivens are forgivers. Graced people, grace people. Loved people, love people. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. He says, look, Peter, if you've been forgiven everything, then now you're a forgiver. That's, that's part of the reason why I redeemed you. Go make disciples. Go spread this good news. That's what we are made to do. We're, we're new channels of God's love that he's releasing into the world. One commentary said this, forgiveness ought to be in direct proportion to the amount forgiven. 
And Luke, and I mean, Jesus in Luke 7 says, he who is forgiven little loves little, but she who is forgiven much loves much. And look, I know in a room this size, I know there are people in here who are carrying real heavy weight. Like you have been sinned against in unspeakable ways. And that's like there is a heavy debt that somebody owes you. So what Jesus is not teaching is that forgiveness is easy. I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here. 15,000, that, that's a lot of money. That's not nothing. Forgiveness is not easy, but Jesus is teaching it is the natural response when we receive the gospel. And when we forgive the 15,000, some of you may have to forgive a million. But when we do that, we are experiencing the cost of forgiving somebody. It will cost us to forgive people. Releasing somebody of what they've done to us, that's a cost. It's not easy, but even a million is a drop in the bucket to 10 billion. The more we understand what has been done for us, the more gospel fuel we have to extend that to other people. So God wants us to reflect him in this way, by being willing to pay the price to forgive somebody else. And this is, this is a theme in, in the teachings of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Then right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Is this salvation by works? Do we have to, it, if we're not careful, it kind of sounds like that, right? Jesus says here, look, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will God forgive you. What's going on here? Is Jesus talking out of both sides of his mouth? There's a quote from another theologian. He says this, There is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. And then he says, This does not contradict justification by faith, but it shows that a revenge-seeking heart is clearly not one that has believed in God's forgiveness of sins alone. So here's the warning. If you hold on to unforgiveness bitterness, if you just hold on to that indefinitely, you're not going to be forgiven by the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. Because, because that is evidence that you, you have not received, you have not fully understood what God has done for you. Show me a heart that refuses to forgive, and I will show you a heart that is self-centered, I will show you a heart that has not understood grace. I'll show you a heart that hasn't died to itself yet. Show me a heart that refuses to forgive, and I'll show you a heart that has not been transformed by the power of the gospel. 
Now, I'm not saying, obviously, Christians are not perfect people who always forgive immediately with a joyful heart. Obviously, there are seasons where we fight and we struggle to forgive somebody. There's a song I've, I've heard recently, and one of the lines says this, you paid all of my debt, but I still live like the rent is due. Like we have, do we have seasons like that or what? We feel like the rent is due. We forget that it's not due anymore. <laughs> Jesus paid for that. So we will fight and we'll struggle with these things. But if you find that it's a, a long-term pattern where you're just holding on to these things indefinitely, Jesus is warning you, check, check your source, check the heart. Have you understood what I've done for you? Is that why you can't extend that to somebody else? Just a few final thoughts to close us out. We did prayer words back in January. A lot of you submitted a, a prayer word for the year, something you are asking from the Lord to show you, to, to do in you, so that you can extend that to others. The top two words were peace and love. We have a church longing for those things, and that's amazing. Longing for peace, longing for love. And I'll tell you, those things are fueled by an understanding of what Jesus has done for us. He has paid for our sins, our debt. He's forgiven us of those things. So now we can be people who, who experience for ourselves and extend to others peace and love. So the more at home we are with God, the more settled we are into the truths that he loves us unconditionally, that he has rescued us, that he is for us, the more we're at home with God, the less we will have the need to get even with somebody else. The less we'll have the need to lose our temper, to get angry in traffic, the, we'll realize, oh, maybe I'm not the center of the universe. Maybe there's a king and he's worth living for. He's worth telling other people about. We don't have to live like the rent is due anymore. It's already been paid. And side note, if your word wasn't peace or love, I guarantee you the gospel is still the right fuel to, to know and experience and share whatever your prayer word was for this year. So Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. Jesus paid it all, so now I can forgive anybody who owes me. So we are forgiven by the king so that we can go and extend that forgiveness to others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. God, I pray we would all just gain a, a, a firmer and tighter grasp on what you've done for us, that it would continue to drop from head knowledge down into our hearts. Lord, you have, <laughs> you haven't just forgiven us our debt. You put 10 billion into our account after that. Lord, may we know the rent is not due anymore. Jesus has paid it all. So now we are free to go and extend that grace to other people, Lord. We don't have to go and get even, Lord, because we belong to the King. We are taken care of fully, totally. God, help us to, to understand that, to even experience that on a heart 
and even emotional level so that we can go and extend that freely to others in grace and in love, just trying to reflect the king who has rescued us and saved us. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for all you've done for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.